Leo and uh, Leo Jeff Yeah, so, so Leo, he somehow ended up with his shirts and Leo was like, oh, my phone off today. And was like, 
Yeah, he sent me a text after they still have the shirts because we ordered them from the same person. Uh, and WrestleCon, I saw him, I was like, hey man, I gotta pull your boots. So he texted me today, to do an album? I'm like, yeah. In my garage at home, I don't just travel with Leo Rusher just in case somebody knows him. <laughs> Sorry, Leo. I got him, I'm hell with you, but I don't just have him. I don't, I don't travel with him. Yeah, yeah, he was like, he sent me a text, he's like, yeah, he's got his shirts. Put them on his gimmick table, and then uh, someone will collect the money for him. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'll be back to you on that. So, Matt. You know, I've known you for 15 years. It's been a long time. Time flies. And uh, how you got to start in New York uh, with the great Mikey Whitbread. Can you talk about the training you came up with, what that looked like for the early years? Yeah, so I always wanted to be a wrestler. That was the only thing I wanted to do. And right after high school, I found a wrestling school on Long Island, New York, uh, New York Wrestling Connection. And at first, it was just like random people training you, teaching you something new. You know, one guy would teach you a 450 slash, the next week you'll learn power locks. So it was an ass backwards training system. Um, and then Mikey Woodbrook got involved in school. Mikey Woodbrook was an ECW, WCW for a minute, and he really added some structure to the school with real classes and a, you know, a protocol and you know, a schedule and you know, a whole like criteria of this is what we're going to learn today. Uh, I'll never forget, we walked in on like a dry erase board. It was like shine, heat, comeback, and like my mind exploded. Like I couldn't believe like there was like a formula to a match, like what? Like, I consider myself a die-hard wrestling fan, a smart wrestling fan, and I didn't know there was a formula. Like, I was embarrassed. Yeah. When did you start training? 2003, September 2003. So, I'm a little bit older than you, I guess. I started training in 91, and I actually in Rotten. Um, and that, that was before, they had just come back from USWA in Memphis, and uh, that was before the internet and the sheets. I was never a sheet reader, so not only did I not know there was a structure, I was completely baffled in this work. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I remember having actually beat, beat us up, uh, and it was only like me and one other guy left um, after a couple of weeks, and then they they were talking to me about taking a ball and playing with a clothesline. I'm like, well, no, I'm not gonna fall for you. Like, you gotta knock me down. <laughs> Competition. 
same size, same age, same look. Um, and then eventually we were put together as a team, and when we both realized, oh wow, you're also an 18 year old kid who collects action figures, like, secretly? Oh, I, I do, you know? And that's what kind of broke the ice. And now, you know, like you said, it's been so long, 18 years, and, you know, we're still, we just wrestled on paper the other, the other night. So, like, our careers have kind of uh, paralleled each other. I remember the first time I heard about you guys was from a Domino, Cliff Coffin, when he came down to Deep South Wrestling. It's like, we dropped the belt that his name's your brother. Is that pretty good? You know. So, that <laughs> same thing, you uh, you would come up to OVW, which was the biggest one. There was, oh man, not even seven months in my life. It was just a weird time to OVW because I always wanted to be in OVW because, you know, like, Cena in OVW, Morton, Batista, Brock, uh, and, you know, I would get those OVW DVDs, and I always go on, like, OVWWrestling.com, and I really young and young guys, right? that's where I wanted to be. Uh, but the time I was there, I did not want to be there, because we were in Deep South, which was the other developmental territory for a whole year, and Deep South had closed, and I'm like, okay, you're moving to OVW, so we were very excited to go to OVW. But in that week, we had debuted on WWE TV. So now we're like, supposedly called up, but also have to do is OVW training, and go to OVW, and we just saw, man, it was just a, oh, I don't know. It's unfortunate, you like, make some really good friends, and oh, yeah, it's great, sure. But, you know, it, it, it was a weird, it was a weird time, a time, and,
And you guys, when you, um, Matt and Matt Hardy were the two people too, like, they kind of really were the first ones to break out doing stuff, like, as far as YouTube and kind of mastering social media. I guess, were you first or Matt? Oh, there was definitely guys before us. I, I wasn't the, the first person to use social media or have Twitter, but I think I was the first person to take social media. Okay, I'm doing nothing on TV, and I'm going to force them to use me on TV. Right. So there were people like Shane Helms, you know, Matt Hardy, they were using social media, but I don't think anybody used social media to quote unquote get themselves over or to get noticed. I mean, the beginning of the year, of 2011, I'm doing nothing on television. I started the YouTube show, I end the year as the US champ. And that's only because of the YouTube show, only because of the fan interaction. The WWE writers, they didn't want to use me, they had to use me. And that's because of the fans who were so vocal and changing my name and bringing signs and buying merch all while I wasn't on television. So that's, you know, it was all my hard work, but it couldn't have happened without the fans. And it sounds corny and cliche, but it's true. It was super organic, right? They just, they just before shows, you know, we want to ride, woo, woo, woo. And, like, how'd that feel when you were like, oh my God, this is working? Yeah, I mean, the, the whole point of the show was to get noticed, right? I wanted WWE to be noticed, I wanted to create buzz. But I either wanted to get noticed or get fired. I wanted to read buzz, so if they did fire me, okay, I'll go to TNA or whatever. I didn't want to get fired. The goal was to be on TV. The goal was to have a weekly YouTube show. But the fans, it really gravitated toward me because they realized, hey, this kid is a fan too. And also, you know, I was showing my personality. I was bringing like, my friends and family. I was merging Zack Ryder and Matt Cardona before that was a thing, you know? And I was letting people in. And I think they appreciated that. They wanted to get behind me. And you gave them that access to that. And it was, it, was, it was a cool time, man. It was like, Colt had his podcast. It was one of the first to that. You were one of the first to YouTube. It was like the summer of punk was starting. Yeah. It, it, it was a very cool, interesting time in wrestling where it felt kind of dangerous. Yeah. It felt like anything could happen and it's live. Yeah, it's been so long since it's felt that way. Now, could you imagine that happening now, though, with the kind of control that WWE has over? Yeah, I mean, that is. Yeah, you can't. Um, and, it, you know, it's. I'm not saying it, it should be that way or it shouldn't be that way. You know, luckily, when I was doing the YouTube show, um, nobody knew about it for a while. Nobody was paying attention. And then when they caught on, it was almost too late. And I remember they wanted me to, when I say they, WWE wanted me to move it to WWE.com. No, that's, who was it? WWE.com, that's not cool. But at the time, WWE was so behind that they had a YouTube channel, but it wasn't any original content. It was like clips from Raw, SmackDown, NXT. It was a joke. It was a highlight thing, like, it was nothing. Um, eventually, I did have to move it to uh, their channel. I'll say that for the book, because that's poor and horror movie, one or the other. So, you were probably, probably the person that I guess made WWE realize the power, I guess, of YouTube and social media. Yeah, I mean, and if I leave any mark on this business, I think, I do want to, you know, be recognized for that. Not, listen, like I said, I wasn't the first person to use social media. 
I think I was the first person to show, hey, take this seriously. There is a big deal. This can change people's careers, change people's lives. Uh, I mean, and, and now, like, I, I'm sure WWE was going to use social media eventually. Like, they were going to catch up eventually. I get it. But I think I made them realize, like, hey, this is a real thing. It's not just, like, little nerds on the internet. I think if you look at Triple H's first ever tweets about, like, nerds on the internet, like, no, everyone's on social media, dude. Doesn't even make sense. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Anyway, um, the, uh, the, the, it, it was weird, too, because I remember at the time looking at how it was blossoming and coming to fruition and also feeling like, You know, I'm sure they're out there, right? But I realized 
shortly after that, that you know, being angry and being bitter, uh, okay, it's not going to change the situation, and it's not going to make you any happier at home, right? So why, why even get into that? And that's when I kind of changed my whole mentality, um, you know, about my career, my life. It's always raised up. It's legit. Like, okay, in wrestling, there's, there's very little that a wrestler can control. I mean, you, you control your gear. Like, no one's going to say, you can't buy good gear. You know what I'm saying? And no one's going to say, you can't work out. Like, you can control your physique. You can control your, your gear, your, your physique, and your attitude. No one like, say, you're not allowed to be a good group. You're not allowed to be happy. So once I started, you know, focusing on the things I could control, and not really worrying about the things that I couldn't, you know, A, I was a lot happier, and then, like, Things did turn around. Things, you know, I won the Intercontinental title at WrestleMania when, you know, a year prior, two years prior, said, there's no way, I would have thought there's no way I'm ever coming back. Is that is that the highlight if you look at the picture of you? Your dad was in the ring. You weren't supposed to do that. He wasn't. He was doing a lot of stuff. Yeah, so, I mean, the backstory to this um, is that it was another weird situation where um, Triple H told me I was going to NXT that. First, like, he during the match, I was pissed. Why are you going to NXT? And then I realized, you know what? Okay, this is an opportunity. Triple H wants me to go to NXT and team with Mojo. I'm going to make this high grossing the best thing possible. It sucks, right? It, it never got good, but I tried. Uh, so at the same time, you know, similar when I was doing OBW and WWE, I was doing NXT and WWE. No, they didn't go off, which is fine. I love it. I love, you know, the, the, the grind, working hard. It is what it is. So I was still doing, like, the Mojo stuff on NXT, and I was doing, you know, WWE live events with like superstars, maybe, but never anything substantial. Um, and then one day backstage, like there was like, a piece of paper, and it was like a list of the matches for WrestleMania, and I'm in this ladder, and I was like, what? Like, how am I in this ladder match? And apparently, like, Vince was like, he escaped overall, watching superstars, and whatever match I was having, he's like, he must have looked at him while I was doing it, and then the next day, the media is like, why are we doing that? That's how it happened. So then, like, I got added to this match on this list, and then, of course, like, the next week, I'm off the list. But, like, you know what? It's cool. At least I was considered, like, maybe things will turn around. Uh, and that was a couple weeks before WrestleMania, and Neville, he was the guy, like, on the list instead of me, and he got hurt on Raw. And I was like, like a light bulb just went off. Like, the next day I sat down, I went up to the first rider, I could see it was Rogo. He was like head of creative or, or up there. And I just kind of like spilled my guts and made my case to why I deserved to be in that match more than anybody else. Um, I, I honestly wasn't like prepared. Like I just went up and I, I just spilled my guts. And I guess one of the things I said, if he told me this later, is that I said to him, I've never heard my music play in WrestleMania, which is true. Wow. And I guess that stuck with him. And that's what got him to, to vouch for me. You know, politics getting into the match, and then later that day he told me, You're in. I'm like, Okay, I'm not in until I see a goddamn graphic. You know, so like, the next week on Raw, uh, they put the graphic up, and I was in that. And you know, fans, I'm sure the boys were like, How is this guy in the match? And I didn't care, I was, I was happy to be in it. You know, I was happy to be in the match. And uh, so I think it's like a Raw is in Brooklyn, and I wrestled Jericho, and the next day we all fly to. To, uh, Texas, and we had this meeting for the, the latter match, the rehearsal. And the night before, Miss tells me he's winning. I'm like, oh, God, thank God. I'm happy for him. It's like, it's one of my friends, he's winning, he deserves it. Like, I didn't think 
but there was still there was no chance of doing like zero percent chance. Uh, and the next day we're at you know the hotel, you know, where the ring set up and Miz walks into the room he's like he's smiling, like Miz, oh you're gonna love this, you're gonna love this. This, you know, Miz is a uh, he thinks it's a stooge, he's awesome, he doesn't go that, he's awful with the writers. So he already knows that they plan to put it on me. So, you know, we, we go over the match and you know the agents, it was Jamie Noble and Pitt Finley, and they say like, you know, Zach's gonna win this thing. And I was like, whoa. And I'll tell you, I'm not gonna say who, but there were a couple of group faces that were boys. Um, so, okay, so my biggest fear is that was like a Tuesday or Wednesday of all WrestleMania Sunday. That's like five days just to get out, five days just to change. And luckily it did. And, uh, I, you know, just walking down that aisle was the win. But then actually win the title? I mean, man. Uh, you know, an ultimate, ultimate win. And then, you know, looking down, and see my dad legitimately hopping the guardrail and sliding the ring. Like, that's not part of the show. No rider wrote that. He legit, like, like Ziggler said, like, come on in. And he just said, okay. And hopped the guardrail and slid in. And he tried to put some damn cowboy hat on my head. I took that off for him. Uh, but yeah, that was definitely the greatest uh, moment of my career and my life at that point, 100%. And I remember, like, David Meltzer said something like, well, how can I be the greatest moment? of his life, like this is, you know, this typical wrestling sort of, whatever he said. Like, come on, Dave, you're, you're, you spent your life, your career writing about wrestling. Imagine wanting to actually wrestle, and then you win the Intervallal title of WrestleMania, and then your dad does it. That was the greatest moment of my life. I don't care what anybody says. Yeah, that's, that's one of the best Wrestling moment, 
Eric's just like, no. Well, I was fine. Like, he's not going to go for every idea. It was totally fine. Uh, and then, like, as we were leaving, Brian was like, well, well, this is another weird thing. Like, now you have to, like, submit your WrestleMania gear, like, before you wear it. And Brian submitted his gear, and he asked me why. I said, no way, because they're just looking for reasons to say, no, like, I'm not submitting my gear. And of course, he submits his, because it's all professionally done, like, by our rapid artists. And then they say no. They, they nod. So as we're getting really into this stuff, like, well, can I wear this, this Jets gear? It's in your hometown. And he says, yes, so no. So that's the word. All right, we're going to be in this Andre the Battle, Andre the Battle, the World Battle Royal. Hometown, kind of, because it's New Jersey. It's not New York. I'm not from New Jersey, by the way. I hate when people say that. New York is. I hate Jersey. And you're like, you're from New York, you do. Right. I'm going out. So, a couple days before WrestleMania, we had a call, like, uh, I don't know what happened, but you guys are going for the fantasy battle of WrestleMania. And I have to believe it's from that meeting with Vince or Vince. And we just were in his brain, and they were going for matches with WrestleMania. A lot of these two hometown kids go for the belts. Like, there's nothing, we weren't doing anything on TV with the champions. It didn't, like, revival was to do with, with uh, Gable, Bobby Russo. It made no sense for us to be in that match. And I, I believe it's because we went in there and just talked to him and just, like, sparked something in his brain. Like an eccentric billionaire sometimes that can screw you over, or sometimes it can really pay off. It pays off. Very random, right? Yeah. That's the thing, you guys, like, you never know, you never know. And then, you know, we ended up winning the titles, which is, which is awesome. Because, you know, I've had my WrestleMania moment with the Intercontinental title. This, this was Brian's moment, you know. I was in college, yes, I was in my moment, but it was his moment. You know, finally gets that win, finally breaks the streak, wins the titles. And I had the best seat in the house, like, I was better than her. I'm, like, laying out on the floor, like, I'm, I know what's about to happen. And, like, I'm, I'm here in the crowd, like, Start rumble like rockets, and like I know, I'm like I know it's gonna happen. We're gonna roll up. Uh, Dan and said one, two, three, the place we do us, and they did. That's so cool, man. Like uh, so, he, if if you look at your WWE experience and, and the catalog put together, uh, you gotta be pretty ecstatic and proud, right? Like, you, you did good work. You never gave up, and. Uh, People look back on what you've done and say that was that was the guy that first came back. Even though you're saying you first, you didn't first do it. That's how people look back. Right. Um, so that and, and, and it's crazy to me to think all of that, and you're still a young guy. Like you still, there's still a lot of gas in the tank. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Looking back, I'm very, very proud of my career, and I like you know the highs and lows. I love that it was a roller coaster ride. Um, you know, every you know title that I won like has some sort of meaning, at least to me. You know, where it wasn't just some random title win. You know, like I'm sure, like in the history of companies, but like to me, like I scratched it for this night. You know, so to me, it means so much. It, like, you know, I'd rather be an IC champion, win it Mania, my dad come out, lose it the next time, and be like a seven-time champion. You know what I'm saying? Like it is what it is. I'm very grateful for my time in WWE. Like it. You know, I never had a real job in my life, and hopefully I'll never have to again because of WWE. Like, the reason I'm up here talking to you guys is because of WWE. I wasn't that right before. You wouldn't give a damn what I was saying. You know what I'm saying? So, I'm so grateful for WWE. Uh, but now that I'm out of WWE, uh, you know, the past year has been 
maybe hockey best that I've ever had. And it's, it's been so much fun, and I, I can't wait for what's next.
expanded his food truck business, changed the, the whole layout of the restaurant to accommodate the carryout workers. You can even go in by states just like you could in a butcher shop. Like it's, he's constantly reinventing himself, much like you've done throughout your career as well. And we'll be there uh, June 11th, sold out, but uh, I can't wait to do a nice cake crack. I'm going to have one tonight, I'm going to grab it. I'm going to grab it. Maybe some of the road, bring some home with it, you know? Have a little cool, come out a little bag, a little cooler. I'm going to get you on the Fleo shoes. That's right. Sorry, Leo. <laughs> and talking about how you kind of set yourself up the last decade or so, whatever you be, um, you're pretty much in the driver's seat now. You can have to do whatever you want. You're not contracted with anybody. On your path, as well as the yeah, I mean, that's the, the cool thing. And listen, WWE was awesome. Like, I loved it. I'm so grateful that was my dream. But that was a long relationship. And I'm not saying it was a bad one. It wasn't a bad one. I don't want to jump into another relationship right now. I want to just, you know, for the first time, be my own boss, do whatever I want to do, just test the waters, have fun. Because this past year with the pandemic, like, Wrestling's been kind of weird, you know, to have big crowds, to get indie tour over between some people can't wrestle, but now I feel like it's starting to finally open up. So now the real fun begins, right? Like, I felt like when I was released back to the toy, you know, I felt like, toy, I felt like it was Christmas morning, I saw all these, like, toys, and I was ready, like, they were opponents, and I was ready to open them up and wrestle them. But I didn't really get to because there was nothing going on. But now the world finally opened up, hopefully, and now I feel like I'll get to go out there and wrestle. The whoever's on the 80s, like the, the who's doing more, and I saw the legends who were like, uh, Hawkins and I were also like headbangers, and like Coco Reed Florida, like, yeah, I was a headbangers, like, ah, you know, stuff like that. And these dream matches would be like, no fan cares, but I care. I want to wrestle Masha Thresher. She's got 
No, you have to do the work for you. You have to bust your own ass. That's right. Where's this guy? Nice, man. For sure. Um, her, her work is, I mean, like, back in, back, back in the day, in Floral MS, is some of the best, like, character work. In recent memory, the hot mess. Laurel Van Ness, I mean, she's phenomenal. Yeah, I think you will see that uh, again. Unfortunately, WWE didn't want her to do the hot mess. And, and maybe that would have come eventually, I don't know. Who was to say? But now, you know, she's her own boss. If she wants to come to NCW and be the hot mess, she'll do it. If she wants to come to NCW and just be regular Chelsea Green, she'll do it. No one's going to tell her she can and can't do it. I think that's. I think a lot of people are going to realize that, you know, the people who got released, and I, I, I sent out a tweet to everybody, not that they should listen to me, but like, guys, you're going to be okay if you work your ass off and, and make your own opportunities. You know, if you're sitting back and just saying, well, I was in WWE for three years, they're going to come call and they're, they're going to bring you back as a promoter, they're not. You've got to bust your ass harder than ever, you know? And some things will be a plot, and you just need to take that and use that as a what do you think that's going to be fans? Do you want to see Matt Cardona and Chelsea Green here next year? I was going to ask you, there's a rumor going around in indie wrestling right now. And, um, I think uh, you sent out some tweets and you sent some back. And uh, one of the like probably most known players in the, in the indie scene, the guy who brings like, real danger to the game, Because um, 
Politically speaking, uh, with this pandemic, you always have two sides, and there's basically there's people that never want things to open up again, and there's people that are going to be looking for reasons to say, oh my God, everybody's going to die if you have 500 people in a building, um, because that's the way this whole thing has been. So, um, basically, what the commission told us is when we get this announcement in June about potentially doing the live, the first show back is probably going to be very restricted, and we don't know what that means. I'm assuming it means, even though the governor of Maryland has said live events or large capacity events, which is what we are considered, can be at 50%, and even though there can be 15,000 people watching the Paul Memorial's game, that we might be told 100 people. We don't know. You know, for the first show, and they think that after the first show, everybody won't be stepping on eggshells as much, so we don't want to have, which is one of the really big independent wrestling tournaments on the scene, be restricted and only be able to have 100 people. <clears throat> so we're just planning on our first show back. It'll be our first show at that point in 15, 16 months. So <clears throat> we probably won't even have a, a big name booked on it. We'll probably just be a locals. You know, Leo will probably be here because Leo's helping. But the second or third show, we'll do the Shamrock Cup before the end of this year. But I think the first show back, we're just going to be, um, we're just going to, we're just going to dip our toes back in the water with the commission, and then that'll be the second or third show back. Yeah, you don't understand what I thought to do. Right. No, we'll, we'll do the first show, get the first, dip our toes back in, have a live event again, and then we'll get it. Maybe like a live break for the show. You know how we did the tape one for you today? We have a couple more plans. Um, Maybe we can do a live break for the show. Uh, my question is for Matt. I was just wondering, how did you meet Super Gabby for the first time? Oh, man. Super Gabby is my, my toy dealer. He may be other people's drug dealer, but he's my toy dealer. Yeah. Uh, I found him on this, this app called Let Go. You know what that is? Like, so he had this giant storage unit full of wrestling figures. And I said, Alright, I'm still a man of those, but I gotta check this out. So I went and oh, I don't know if you've ever seen these videos, like he's a character, and I thought like this is all stolen goods. Like this is not legitimate. And so he built I was I was questioning if his Punjabi prison playset was complete. And he took it out of the box and he built it on the street in like five minutes. Like you can't build that with no instructions unless you know what you're talking about, you know, and I quickly realized He's legitimate. I don't know where he gets his merchandise. I don't know where he gets his case fresh figures. I don't know why the local Walmart doesn't have them. I don't, I don't ask questions, okay? But I know he has stuff. He's great. He's a character. I wouldn't recommend dealing with him online. I would only do in-person deals. I can't promise he's going to send you your stuff. But he's never screwed you. I'm totally impressed by that story Uh, so, let's see, right now that I'm in back, like, I don't want to be 